You know, God makes every single one of us unique, and we're all, all beautiful. And that's good news. It's a good thing to remember because there's parts of our bodies that we just can't control, you know? And, uh, for example, I've got a really, really big head. No neck, big head, you know, what do you do? So, you just sort of learn to live with it, you know, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's a sign of royalty. <laughs> that's, that's what I heard myself think, but... Um, you know, you can just come to accept it. I mean, it's, it's not like you can avoid it because it, it blocks out the sun. But, um, you know, when I was young, it was tough because the other kids would make fun of me and I would run home and cry to mama and my mama would wipe the tears from my eyes and say, it's okay, son, it's okay. <laughs> you know, she'd say, tell those boys at college to behave themselves. But, you know, actually, true story, when I was 16, I needed corrective lenses, and so I discovered this because no matter how hard I tried listening to the guy in front of me at the DMV, I couldn't quite make out the letters that he was calling out from the eye chart, and because uh, that's the only way I was going to be able to see those letters. So my mom uh, took me to the optometrist and then to the eyeglass store and the sales lady. At the eyeglass door, pulled out some frames, and she tried to put them on my head, and she said, oh my, we need the extra large frames, don't we? And I said, we, are, are you and I going to be wearing these frames together or something? And See, because back then I was a smart aleck, and um, fortunately it was just a phase, a very, a very slow dying phase. But... Anyway, so the sales lady started opening up drawers, and I think, if I recall right, they were labeled Andre the Giant, Charlie Brown, the Kool-Aid Man, those types of size heads. And, and um, she finally found some frames, and as she was looking for these frames, uh, my mother started telling this complete stranger the horrors of my birth because my head was so large. You know, I was completely embarrassed. I just wanted to get under the table and hide, but my head wouldn't fit, so. <laughs> anyway, I've learned that this particular trait is hereditary. Apparently, there is a large head gene, and our firstborn son, Timothy, has been blessed with it. Uh, he has the exact same size head that I do. In fact, se completely separately, we bought the same pair of eyeglasses. Uh, when we needed prescription glasses. And, and if we, he or I get an adjustable baseball cap, we automatically put it on the very last little edge there, the last little clipping, um, because otherwise we, we just know it won't fit. And so no matter how much you are like someone else in certain ways, there's always another way that you're completely different. And this is true of uh, Timothy and I. See, for example, I'm not good at putting puzzles together. Uh, not good at all at that. If, in fact, if there's something with multiple parts that have to be put in a certain order, I just have a very hard time visualizing that. Uh, that part of my brain never developed or something like that. I, I don't know. But, you know, for example, if I had a, a lawnmower and uh, need to put the wheel and the axle and all that back together and reassemble it, I'm not saying it took me four hours. But it took me four hours to do that. And uh, apparently at the end of the whole process, I found four unnecessary parts. 
that um, you know, I went, went ahead and disposed of because they were completely unnecessary. Um, the, the lawnmower does work. But Timothy, our oldest son, he could put it together anything. And in fact, when he was young, we would buy him for his birthday or Christmas or whatever, increasingly difficult Lego sets. And he would uh, open up the box, and without looking at the instructions or anything like that, within an hour he would be able to put together this Star Wars Death Star or whatever. It, it was just amazing to me that he could do this. And then he would, he would always disassemble every single one of his Lego structures and put them in bags. And we, find a we had to have increasingly large bags and to this day, it's true, we have an 11-gallon uh, plastic bag with thousands and thousands of Lego parts in our garage. I would have brought it here today for show and tell, but it's too heavy. And um, he just loved getting into this bag and putting together new things, things that he would just sort of uh, imagine in his head. And, and I'm just not, I'm not made that way, but he really is. He loved playing with Legos. There are, however, some dangers, especially one danger, if you have a child or a grandchild that plays with Legos. And if you do have that situation, you already know what I'm about to say. Because even the most organized and tidy child, which Timothy is not, will inevitably leave at least one Lego behind. And that very night, as you make your way to the kitchen in the darkness to get a glass of water, not needing a light, because you instinctively know where all of your furniture is, your foot will, without fail, find that wayward Lego. And within the split second that it takes your sensory neurons to communicate with your spinal column, you come to the immediate and undeniable realization that you are undoubtedly alive. And even if you were raised by the strictest of Baptist parents, it is at that moment that you cast off all of your religious inhibitions and you begin to dance. And all sorts of colorful thoughts enter your mind. You even begin to wonder what kind of sadistic engineers the Lego company employs. You know, as they test their Legos, how much do they pay people to step on these miniature torture devices? Or do they use animals? Does PETA know that they use animals? I don't know. Inquiring minds want to know. But whatever the answers are to those inquiries, such are the dangers of having children who play with Legos, and such are the dangers of walking in the dark. And that concept, walking in the dark, it just doesn't seem like the wisest thing for us to do does it? And yet people do it all the time. Not just to get a cup of water from the kitchen, but some people live their whole lives as if they are walking in darkness. And you see, all of us are on this journey we call life, and, and it's as if all of us are walking down a path, and it's night, and it's dark. And when we live our lives as if we're walking down this darkened path, a lot of bad things can happen. I mean, walking in the dark, living your life that way, might cause you to unknowingly step into some pain that was unnecessary. Or there might be a larger obstacle in your way that the darkness makes you trip and fall over. 
You might even come across an enemy who would attack you and hurt you in life, and maybe even one that would try to kill you. And when you live your life in darkness, and I think all of us have experienced this situation, there are times when you begin to imagine things that aren't really there. You begin to worry about things that never materialize. You worry about things, and you become anxious about things, that there's nothing to it in the reality, but you don't know that because you're living in darkness. It's like thinking that a caterpillar on your arm is a snake. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. That's what it's like to live and to walk in darkness. And that is what happens to most people in this world because they don't have the light that could guide them on their way. So what if there was somebody who on this dark pathway of life could walk with us and and he had a light? What kind of difference would that make? And, And not only that he had a light, but what if this person himself is the light? And all that you have to do to have your pathway illumined is simply to walk with him every day. Just walk with him. There is such a person like that. Jesus said this of himself in John chapter 8. And I invite you to turn in your Bible, if you have your Bible with you today, to John chapter 8. In verse 12, Jesus made this statement. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice that Jesus didn't just simply say, I am the light of your life, or I am the light for you, which, although that's obviously true. He didn't simply restrict it to that. He, he's more than that. What is it, what's the difference between Jesus just saying, hey, I am the light of your life, and I am the light of the world? Here's the difference. Being the light of the world means that no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your social or economic uh, feasibilities and all of the things that we want to categorize people with, no matter what any of that is, no matter who you are, when you live, and what part of history you live in, Jesus is the light that you need. The light of this world is universal. He is the light of the entire world. And so the scope and the breadth of this promise that Jesus made applies to anyone that would believe in him. And so anyone in this world who is tired of living lives as if they're stumbling around in spiritual darkness and is ready today to live a purposeful life with benefits that extend all the way into eternity can have that with Jesus. Last week, we looked at the saying where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And last week, I asked you to pay particular attention to the responses to that claim. One response to that claim is to deny it, and so those people don't receive it. Or another response to that claim is what Jesus said, his words were, to come to him and to believe in him. Now, today in John chapter 8, verse 12... When Jesus says that he is the light of the world, I'm going to ask you likewise to pay attention 
to how he wants us to respond to him. In fact, he tells us in that very same verse. He says in John chapter 8, verse 12, the next thing he says is, He who follows me. Did you catch that? The proper response to the light of the world is to follow him. To follow the light. Now, if you think about it, that is the most natural thing in the world to do. If you are lost in a dark place, follow the light. Can you imagine if you're lost in the middle of the woods and the, the, the trees blocked out all of the moonlight and the stars of the sky? But there was a light off in the distance. Naturally, you would walk toward that light because that's where hope is. That's where your salvation may lie. Nobody in their right mind would walk in the opposite direction of the light if they were lost in the darkness. But that's exactly what we see in this world. That's exactly what we see with so many people. Why do so many people continue to live their lives in the darkness instead of following the light? Well, the answer is very simple. It's because they do not believe. You see, the only people that can actually see the light of Jesus, the light of this world are those that would believe in Him. To those without belief, Jesus is not the light of the world. He's just another historical figure. He's just a crutch for the weak-minded. He's just a person that other people believe in. You see, unbelief dims your perception of the light of the world. And settled, stubborn unbelief darkens the light completely from the eyes of the unbeliever. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world, Satan, little g on God, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But I hope that's not true of you. Jesus said again, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And there may be someone who's listening to me today who's just at the very precipice of belief. You're at that point where you're going to have to make a decision about what you do with this Jesus. And you're asking yourself, am I ready to believe in Jesus? Are you ready to believe in him? Listen, I was once at that place too. I'd come to the point where I needed to make a decision about the Jesus of the Bible. And I asked myself, am I going to believe in this Jesus? Am I going to commit my life to following him? I mean, on the one hand, I remember thinking this clearly. It seems very foolish to commit myself to someone who is not even here, literally, before my eyes, and whose stories seem, on, on one hand, to be fantastical. But on the other hand, the ideals that Jesus spoke of are so radically higher and better and greater than any other person in history, so why wouldn't I follow him? But on the first hand, 
Am I ready, really, to jump in and to believe it all that, that God loves me so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for my sins? In the end, I was left with no other viable, internally consistent option but to believe in Jesus. And here's why. Because there is no other viable explanation for the resurrection of Jesus. There's no other viable explanation for the historicity, for the factual truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, what happened to the body of Jesus? And when you honestly assess the historical evidence, there's only one answer that makes sense. He rose from the grave. That is the only answer that makes sense. And I decided that I wanted to follow that person. The one who could raise himself from the grave. I mean, I had a choice, and so do you. I, I could have followed physicist Carl Sagan's agnosticism or psychologist Sigmund Freud's belief that God is an illusion. Or I, I could have followed philosopher Karl Marx's atheism. But why should I? They're all dead. Every last one of them is dead. Or I could decide in this life to follow nobody but my own wishes and my own desires and make myself my own God and follow myself, follow my own uh, path in life, forge my own way. But in the end, I thought, I, I still don't believe that I would be able to raise myself from the grave. There's something uniquely qualified about Jesus that makes him worthy of us following him. And it's simply this, he's the light of the world and he is alive. Jesus is so magnificently greater than anyone else that I could follow. And since I decided to follow him, ever since that time, Jesus has shown me time and time again that he is the light of the world. And for me, in my little old world, he's the light that lights my pathway. You see, it's been my experience that when Jesus illumines the path of my life, the path that I'm walking, he enables me to avoid unnecessary pain that I might stumble into. He enables me to overcome the obstacles in my way. He enables me to prepare for the enemy's attacks and to disregard the imaginary worries that never become manifest. And so today, the choice is yours. If you believe that Jesus is the light of the world, you will no longer walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. On the other hand, you can choose not to believe. That's the choice, in fact, that many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day chose. Look at the very next verse. In John chapter 8, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You see, the Pharisees believed that what really matters is not what a person thought about himself, but what other people thought about you or about them. And not just anyone else. It had to be someone with real religious authority. In other words, themselves. <laughs> They set themselves up to be the, 
the top of that pyramid. And so they said, hey, you're just talking about yourself. That doesn't make anything true. You're not, you're not telling the truth. Who's to say you're not a, a crazy man just talking about himself? That's the idea that they were saying in verse 13. And Jesus answered and said to them in verse 14, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. What's Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is saying he knows that he came from heaven. Before he became flesh, Jesus existed, if you will, in heaven. And then he became flesh and came to this earth. Jesus was with the very, in the very presence of God the Father. And that is where he would soon return. But since the Pharisees didn't believe in Jesus... They obviously wouldn't have believed that. Verse 15 and continuing. Jesus said, you judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and my Father who sent me testifies about me. Jesus says, I do have another witness. I'm not just talking about myself, but God the Father himself also testifies about me. When in the world did God do that? God testified about Jesus at his baptism, where the Father spoke from the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The Father said something very similar when Jesus would soon be transfigured. He said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God the Father also testified about Jesus through every single miracle that Jesus performed. Because these miracles were signs. They weren't magic tricks. These were signs that Jesus is the very Son of Man spoken of in Daniel who would come in the clouds of glory. These are signs that he is from the Father, that he is with and was with the Ancient of Days. God the Father testified about Jesus through every teaching that Jesus uttered. For Jesus' words did not come from his own imagination, from his own initiative, but rather he simply taught the eternal truths from heaven. Yet in spite of all the ways that the Father testified of the Son, the Pharisees still refused to believe him. In verse 19, so they were saying to him, where is, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So that's the choice for you today. You can refuse to believe in Jesus and you can continue to live and walk in the darkness of this world, or you can follow Jesus. He is the light of the world. And once you begin to know Jesus, you begin to know the unknowable one, the one who has been hidden from our eyes since the beginning of time. You can begin to know God the Father himself. 
That is what Jesus claims. That is what Jesus offers you today. And if today you do stand on the very precipice of choosing whether to believe in Jesus or whether to do what this world says and just do your own thing, if today you decide, you choose to believe in Jesus, I want to be very clear with what that means. That does not simply mean that you intellectually assent to some historical facts about Jesus. It doesn't mean that you simply say, okay, yeah, I, I sort of, I believe in that, and then go about your merry way as if you didn't really believe in it. To believe in Jesus means that you say yes to who he is as Lord of your life. It means that you commit yourself, devote yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord. And that means you are making a decision not just to check Jesus off a list as if he's a part of a menu on a buffet, but rather you're making a decision to say, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Because again, back in verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me. So today, if you stand at the precipice of belief and you're trying to make that decision, Jesus would have you count the cost. Jesus would have you understand that to follow him means a lifelong and really an eternity-long commitment to being his disciple, to being his follower. This world will say, ah, you're crazy if you do that. But in your heart, is the Spirit of God compelling you, drawing you, enabling you to say yes to what this world says is crazy? That's the decision you have to make. If today you're ready to make that decision, Jesus is simply a prayer way. Call upon him. And he will save you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've given each one of us a choice in this life. And the lesson that we've learned from Jesus' lips today is that we can choose to walk in darkness or we can choose to walk in the light. So, Father, to those that believe, it makes, it makes perfect sense to walk in the light, but for those that do not believe. We know that they can't even see the light. So, Father, make the scales on the eyes of the unbelieving fall off, even right now. Compel people. Draw people. Through your kindness, draw them to repentance. Draw them to faith in Jesus. Give them a chance today again, Father. Let them know that you're, you're patient with them. But there won't always be a chance, Father. So, Lord, I pray that this opportunity will not pass by without fruit. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.